When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody. Welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Mason Avenue's minor league podcast. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'll be joined by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Levin, and Thomas Henderson in a little bit. But first, we'll jump right into things and do our weekly AFL update. All right, so first up is Brett Beatty. And this week, he went 7 for 13 with 5 runs scored, 4 RBI, 2 walks, a strikeout, and an error. And on the season, that leaves him hitting 304, 391, 430 in 22 games with five doubles, a triple, a homer, 12 RBI, 11 walks, 29 strikeouts, and one stolen base in one attempt. Carlos Cortez, he went 3 for 10 with a run scored, a walk, and four strikeouts. And that leaves him hitting 235, 364, 314 in 16 games with two doubles, a triple, Full RBI, 10 walks, 16 strikeouts, and zero stolen bases in one attempt. Wilmer Reyes, he went 0 for 2 with a RBI and a walk this week. And on the season, that leaves him hitting 218, 338, 291 in 16 games with two doubles, a triple, six RBI, 10 walks, 12 strikeouts, and four stolen bases in five attempts. And last up among the position players is Hayden Sanger, and he went 0 for 0 with a run and three walks. So on the season, he's hitting 207, 378, 241 in 10 games with a double, seven walks, seven strikeouts, and that's the end of him. Pitching-wise now, Garrison Bryant, he threw three innings. He allowed three earned runs on four hits. He walked two, and he did not strike at anybody. And on the season, he has a 4.85 ERA in 13 innings. He's allowed 12 hits. He's walked six, and he struck out 11. Connor Gray now, he also threw three innings this week. He gave up two earned runs on three hits, one walk, and two strikeouts. And on the season, he has a 3.60 ERA in 15 innings, with 13 hits allowed, six walks, and 13 strikeouts. The first of two relievers, Colin Holdeman, he pitched two innings this week. He did not allow any hits. He did not allow any runs. He walked one, and he struck out four. So on the season, Holdeman has a 8.64 ERA in 8.1 innings, which came over nine games. He's allowed nine hits. He's walked five, and he struck out eight. And last but not least is Brian Machuire. And this week, he pitched 2.1 innings. He did not allow any hits. He did not allow any runs. He did not allow any walks. He struck out five, and he also balked, and he hit two batters. So on the season, Matuire currently has a 563 ERA in eight innings, which have come over eight games. He has given up six hits, he's walked eight, and he has struck out 14. 
All right, so this week we are going to review the 2021 St. Lucie Mets season. And when the 2021 season started, we thought we knew what was going to go down in Syracuse. Um, You know, the Mets actually had some high-end depth, which got shifted down because not everybody could fit on the Mets roster. And Syracuse is going to be good as a result. When the 2021 season started, we thought we knew what was going to go down in Binghamton. The team, for the most part, didn't have really high-end quality talent, and their win-loss record was, was going to reflect that. When the 2021 season started, we thought we knew what was going to go down in Brooklyn. Big three were going to kick ass. The nobodies that usually can dominate in Brooklyn, they were going to dominate, and that was going to be a super championship team. As we discussed over the last couple of weeks, basically the opposite of all that happened. Syracuse, they got drained of most of its talent for a big chunk of the season, and they sucked. Binghamton, a lot of those guys overperformed because, um, you know, a couple of noteworthy players on the team that came through, but the team did still suck anyway. Brooklyn, you know, I, I don't know what happened there, but they improbably struggled. When the 2021 season started for St. Lucie, as opposed to those other teams, we really had no friggin' clue. From top to bottom, it was just one question mark after another. First of all, the players. They were... Mainly, you know, the the youngest guys in the system. The, it, it is the bottom of the ladder for the most part. So the potential outcomes or whatever you want to call it for those guys, it's pretty big, you know, pretty wide. The manager, Reed Brignac, it was his first managing gig. Um, Tommy Joseph, the hitting coach, it was his first coaching gig too. Basically, the most experienced coaches that they had on in, in on their team, Jerome Williams and Jay Pesci, you know, they both had one year of experience each. Uh, Jerome Williams was the pitching coach in Kingsport in 2021, and Pesci was the bench coach with the GCL Mets. But that's that's literally all the experience that that team had at the coaching staff. So we really had no clue if they'd be good coaches, if they'd be able to get the most out of their players and, and all that kind of stuff. And then in addition to all that, the low A Southeast was going to be very different from the Florida State League that we were used to. Um, Baseball America, they ran some numbers a while ago, and they concluded that the lowest levels of the minors were going to be impacted the most by all the changes that Major League Baseball instituted, um, you know, the, the cutting of all those teams and players and everything, because just a lot of those guys at the bottom were, you know, cut or... or had to be pushed whatever i mean think about it like this triple a it's generally filled with a mixture of fringe major league players who get called up and down and older league older minor league players who just aren't really good enough and then bona fide prospects not much changed there double a more or less the same thing but high a and low a you know they're really affected by the loss of rookie and short a ball kingsport mets and then the first incarnation of the cyclones you know, in the in the past, there would be more options to send guys. Now, a guy that might otherwise be better suited for Kingsport or Brooklyn, they're going to be starting in St. Lucie. And, you know, you don't know if they're up to it, if they're going to sink or swim or nothing. Also, in addition to just that personnel thing, Low A Southeast implemented probably the most drastic rule change that was tested this year in the minors, the robo-ump. So, um... You know, all that aside, though, ultimately, St. Lucie did have a good season. I don't want to say they they outperformed expectations, since we really didn't have any clear expectations. But, you know, 
they were the only minor league team in the Mets system that ended the season over 500, so that's got to count for something, right? They ended the year 60-55, and 55, which was just barely on top of the low-A Southeast East Division. They had a solid lead for most of the year, but then they fell into a little lull towards the end of the season, and that allowed the Jupiter Hammerheads to um, you know, not only catch up, but overtake them in the standings. And the two teams are basically neck and neck going into the end of the season. They played each other in two series in the month of September. And St. Lucie went two and three in the first series and then four and one in the second. And that series literally took place on the last week of the season. And with their win on the last day of the year, that gave them a 16 55 record, which was good for a 522 winning percentage. And because they beat Jupiter, Jupiter's winning percentage dropped to uh, 61 and 56, which is a 521 winning percentage, meaning that St. Lucie won the division by one hundredth of a point, literally. It's sucky, though, because they didn't have any postseason. According to the new rules of minor league baseball, basically the two best teams in the league, period, they duke it out for the low A championships. And the two teams with the best records in low A Southeast was, they, they were both in the West Division, the Tampa Tarpons and the Bradenton Roarders. So, you know, they went head-to-head with each other. Those guys, they really blew everyone's record out of the water. Um, Tampa, their record was 73-43, and 43, and Bradenton was 71-48. and 48. So that, you know, was a lot better than St. Lucie's. So, you know, St. Lucie got to celebrate on the field when they won the division, but that's it. And I really hope that Major League Baseball expands the playoff system next year. I hope it was just kind of abbreviated this year because of uh, the late state start to the season and COVID and everything. But we'll see. Knocking on wood here. But back to the actual players on the team now. Um, we'll look at some of those guys. And, you know, because the team was basically comprised of like, you know, 18 to 22-year-olds, there were a lot of names that were not necessarily exciting yet, but they were intriguing with the possibility to become uh, exciting. The two biggest names out of that group, I think, are definitely Jalen Palmer and Alexander Ramirez, who we ranked 8 and 18 on our 2021 top prospect list. I've liked Palmer since the day he was the day he became a Met when the Mets drafted him. I've always been high on him on our prospect lists, and he had a pretty solid season. He played 66 games with the St. Lucie Mets before getting to a promotion to Brooklyn, where he looked. He did admittedly look a little overmatched there, but in St. Lucie, he hit 276, 378, 386. And on the season as a whole, he hit 244, 354, 368. Two things stand out. Actually, three things stand out. Uh, Two in regards to his bat, and then one in regards to his defense. First thing with the bat, he improved his walk rate by a bit, and he cut down on the strikeouts. In a similar number of games in 2019 with Kingsport, he struck out at a 39.1% rate and walked at 11.2. That is uh, not great. This season, he struck out at a 27.8% rate and then walked at a 13.4% rate. Good to see, but it also does raise some questions about how real those uh, changes were and how much of an impact that Robo played on his uh, strikeout rate because his walkout, ra- his 
walkout rate. His strike rate in Brooklyn spiked back up to the high 30s. So time will tell how real those numbers were. Second thing with his bat was the lack of home run power. Palmer isn't a true slugger, per se, but he's got some power. He's got a, a pretty long swing that's conducive to power hitting. And he didn't really produce in that category, so we'll see. And last thing about him before I move on, uh, he was starting to see some time in the outfield. He got 450 innings in center field and right field, and he's an extremely athletic guy. He's very speedy. He's very rangy. So I'm happy that they're uh, playing him there, especially with the system's lack of outfielders. I always thought he could handle it, so it's good to see that uh, they're trying it out and, and good things are happening. So cross my fingers. Next guy, Ramirez. The numbers don't really exactly jump out at you, but I mean, he was one of three 18-year-olds to play in low A Southeast last year, along with Pittsburgh's uh, Alex Mojica and the Yankees' Jason Dominguez. And none of them exactly dominated, so it's all good. Uh, Ramirez, he hit 258, 326, 384 in 76 games. Uh, a lot of strikeouts. It is concerning. 104 strikeouts. But it literally was his first professional season. So, you know, he's learning on the job. Uh, he probably would have been a better fit in the FCL, but the Mets wanted to push him. And while he wasn't all that great, he didn't, you know, he didn't suck either. So that's encouraging. He did hit for some nice power. 15 doubles, 4 triples, 5 homers. He stole 16 bases, so it's a lot of tools there. And they just need some refinement, which is fine because he is uh, an 18-year-old. So, uh, Another guy that put himself on the map that probably wasn't really there just yet was Jose Peroza. He was a guy that was, you know, a guy to know, but not necessarily a top prospect or anything. And I think that he is there now due to the Mets system, A, being so thin, and then B, he, he did perform pretty good, so credit where credit's due. In 64 games, he hit 274, 404, 442. The walks really came out of nowhere, and that's what makes me think that it's an outlier, especially when you factor in that new automatic ump, uh, robo system that I mentioned before. In about 40 games of Brooklyn, he had a 14.7 uh, walk percentage, and... Oh, excuse me. Oh, I I misspoke. He had a eight. He had a fourteen point seven walk percentage in St. Lucie, and then when he went to Brooklyn, that fourteen point seven walk percentage shrunk to eight point seven, which is good, but that is about fifty percent less or so. Same thing with the BAPIP. It it shrunk down about a hundred points from St. Lucie to Brooklyn. So that does bring into question how real Peroza was in St. Lucie, but. You know, the rest of that tool set, which is basically just power, it did show up. He ISOed 167, which would put him up there with some of the big boys in the system. So, I mean, the one thing that we do know he can do, he did do. So, that's good. And, you know, there's questions, but he's a prospect. There's always going to be questions. Looking uh, at the pitching side of things, JT Ginn, who I talked about a little more in length last week. He started his season off in Florida. He looks solid. Uh, Oscar Rojas, he had a fine season. He, he is a bit of a junk ball, though, and I don't really see continued success in his future. Uh, a couple of other bullpen arms, they did well, too. Uh, Luis Montas and Willie Tavares, who transitioned from being a starter to a relief pitcher this year. Montas, he's basically a two-pitch pitcher. He's a fastball slaughter guy. Neither pitch is that great. 
So his .90 ERA is probably a little more a uh, result of smoke and mirrors than anything else. Tavares, though, he might be a little bit more legit. His stuff looked intriguing when I saw him in Kingsport in 2019. And his fastball velocity was up this season. And slurvy breaking ball that he threw then, it really is tightened up. It's a more well-defined slider. And he also added a changeup. So it looks like he might be able to pitch well at a high level. I mean, he did look good in Brooklyn. He he got bumped up there towards the end of the season, uh, July to August. So there might be something there with him. Um, we talked about the good. Now, unfortunately, time to talk about the bad. And a couple of guys didn't really take the steps forward that we would have wanted to uh, have seen. Shervian Newton, one of them. We still had him ranked fairly highly in our top 25 list coming to the season, but he's basically toast now. I mean, he's older. He's missed most of the year because of injury. And then when he was on the field, he just really wasn't good. Um, Junior Santos, he didn't stink or nothing, but he didn't take any steps forward. Um, He just turned 20 at the end of the season. So having a league average year, you know, it's not bad or anything like that. But it's just a little disappointing that he didn't do better. Uh, same with Franklin Paro. He's another guy I've liked for a while. Unlike Santos, his season was objectively bad. And he's a little older. He just turned 22, so time is ticking. But, you know, it's it's hard not to root for him. I and mean, he's, he's a local kid. He literally had a Mets jersey on under his uh, graduation gown when he graduated from um, high school over in Long Island. So, you know... Plus, the Mets have had a pretty good success rate with lefties from Long Island, I'm just saying. Maybe this time. Especially late-blooming lefties from Long Island. Um, Two other guys, Warren Sanders and Brandon McIlwain. You know, they were rolls of the dice. Saunders is a late-bloomer from the Bahamas. McIlwain is a very uh, athletic college football standout. Neither did particularly great. Um... Uh, you know, and and like I mentioned, you know, them not turning immediately to all stars, it doesn't mean that they're bums. Although they might well be, who knows? Don't get me wrong, but it's just too bad that we didn't see, you know, uh, development from them. So, all in all, you know, it was it was a little bit of a mixed bag. But St. Lucie was the one team in the system that actually <laughs> had a record over five hundred. They were the only team in the system that was good. And nobody saw that coming. Well, the rest of the Mets minor league system was very much like, here's a few guys who were solid, but or good to great, not solid, because solid is underrating them. Here's a few great prospects and pretty much everyone else. St. Lucie was the, I don't want to say the opposite, because they did have really great prospects, especially early on, and namely in Francisco Alvarez, who started there before he made his way to Brooklyn. but. They, the St. Lucie Mets were like a good baseball team. They went 60 and 55, technically came in first in their division, but because of some of the new rules, I don't believe they made the playoffs, which was a very odd and doesn't really make logical sense thing to me. But be that as it may, they went 60 and 55, which is the only winning record that we will talk about here in this section, in this uh, series, I should say, not section. And Frankly, they were they, they were just solid across the board. Like, Jose Peraza had a good season and moved himself up to Brooklyn. Jalen Palmer did the same and moved himself up to Brooklyn. Alex Ramirez, though, he was only 18, struck out 104 times and hit 258, 326, 
384. He was still one of the overall youngest players in the league, which is even to hit 258 at such a young age against 20-year-olds, early 20-year-old guys is very impressive. And a lot of their reinforcements that they got in the draft, which is wasn't a good draft because they did not have Kamar Rocker and they just didn't really have much else. Like Kevin Kendall was great for them, hitting 327, 421, 451. Um, they really just were a solid overall low minors baseball team, which is where most of the talent level for the Mets is. And it goes to show that the, 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 the depth of the Mets system is in the lower portion of it. While most of these guys will not be names that we talk about as top prospects or even regular prospects, really. It's, it's still, these are the guys who they're more capable of winning. They're more capable of winning minor league games than the older guys. And that will help come when they move up in the system, that'll help make the system more competitive because they clearly can. They won, they won their division. They had the best record in their division and they didn't even pitch all that particularly well for the most part. Uh, Junior Santos is the biggest, probably exciting name here who made 16 starts in 21 appearances and had a 450 ERA at 19 years old because he's just been kind of chilling there, like playing way above his weight class in terms of his age for a while now. Um, but yeah, there was also a lot of rehab stuff. Jacob DeGrom went down there, Lugo went down there, Reed Foley and Syndergaard and Yamamoto and Gasalman. But for the most part, they were just a overall competitive minor league baseball team, which while it doesn't really bode, I don't want to say bode well, but it doesn't, I wouldn't say there's many guys who are going to crack. There's really just one or two or three who will make who will crack our top 15 here. Um, in the Mets system with the names here that even if they played a few times in this, in St. Lucie, like Francisco Alvarez only played 15 games. He was only there for two weeks before he got moved up. Cause he was just obviously way too good for the level. If he was a above average hitter in Brooklyn, he was just destroying the baseball hitting 417, 567, 646 in two weeks there. Like it's, he was just better than the competition, even at 19. But yeah, St. Lucie was goes to show that the Mets system, it's not a good system. It's a very thin system at the top, and all of their talent is at this level. And all of their talent next year will be moved up a level and move, and kind of help disperse around the minors a little bit more, hopefully, when Perosa moves up again, I'm sure, and Palmer moves up again, and Alex Ramirez moves to Brooklyn, I'm assuming. So, yeah, it's just a lot of these guys aren't exactly the most exciting names in the world, but they put together a competent season, which is a season that no other Mets minor league system had. And that's really what the St. Lucie Mets can hang their hat on and what the St. Lucie Mets will of 2021 be remembered for. It's not that they were a excellent baseball team. It's not that they were a team full of future all-stars because there's definitely a few guys who I'm interested in here. And namely the guys who I will, I'll just straight out name them as Alex Ramirez, Jalen Palmer, Jose Peraza and Francisco Alvarez are the guys who I really look at. And Kevin Kendall is a interesting name because he came here and he hit immediately. Zach Ashford was really good while he was there. Um, they just kind of had a rotating cast of characters who all played pretty well while they were there. 
and that was nice for St. Lucie going forward. That that was nice for St. Lucie as a season, mostly because it allowed them to win more games than you would think they were going to win. But I don't know how many names we're going to be talking about here that are going to be impact names in the Mets prospect pool. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey guys, Lucas here for my segment of our St. Lucie 2021 season recap. And oh boy, this one sure is a doozy. Um, I think coming into this season, we uh, really expected the farm to be better than it was, certainly in terms of record, but uh, at least in terms of talent, it should have been better. And this roster uh, looked like one that could potentially be quite good both in terms of of actual talent and then uh uh, actual on-field production and to be totally honest i'm not sure it worked out on either of those aspects right um i don't want to talk too much about uh brett Beatty because i already kind of went into him in detail when we were talking about uh uh uh, binghamton Um, and francisco alvarez didn't spend a ton of time uh on this roster right he very quickly showed that he belonged in brooklyn um Beatty, of course also started in brooklyn so wouldn't even make sense to discuss here anyway Um, but after those two this this roster that was really supposed to kind of encapsulate some of the strengths of the Mets system that being uh, a lot of the uh younger dsl types or younger high school age draft picks uh, that that just didn't pan out at all, and, and this roster uh, finished barely over 500 um, in the low A Southeast East Division. Uh, just absolutely ridiculous these division names now. Um, and frankly, there's just not much that's that's worth talking about here. Um, Alex Ramirez is probably the most significant prospect here, uh, and he's a 18. I believe he actually just turned 19 years old. Uh, nope, still 18 for another month or so. Uh, fairly stereotypical DSL J2 outfield signing, right? Like, we're not going to get a whole lot out of uh, looking at his stat line at this stage of his career, given the various challenges coming into the states stateside for the first time as a teenager. Um, and he was okay, uh, maybe a slightly above league average nine with a 258, 326, 384. Um, nothing horrific and nothing great, right? Like he struck out too much, but it wasn't disastrous. Uh, he walked a little bit, not as much as you'd like to see, but again, this is exactly what you'd expect from, uh, this sort of profile and, and the physical tools are there. Uh, and, and that makes him just as much a lottery pick as, as any of the other, uh, in numerous players who have slotted into this this uh, cast over the years. Um, so there's not a whole lot we can glean from his stat line. Didn't break out, held his own, that's fine. Uh, after that, there's almost nothing else to talk about, right? Uh, uh, Jalen Palmer was mediocre, 
continues to strike out way too much and had no power because he seemed to be shortening up his stroke and still couldn't make contact. Shervian Newton is doing much the same. Shervian Newton's been the same prospect since the first time we hyped him up back in 2018, 2017 maybe even. I mean, the man still has some incredible physical talents, really high waist, all those good things. And he hits the ball, goes real far, but still can't make contact. Uh, Brandon McIlwain's floating around on this roster. Uh, Jose Perozo is pretty good, um, but is probably more of a utility infield type. Uh, and, and frankly, after that, there's just... Like, what else are we supposed to be digging in here on? Uh, uh, now, we, we should point out that... that we might have had a longer uh, a sample here from someone like Pete Crow Armstrong uh, had he not gotten hurt and then traded for Javier Baez. Um, so maybe things are are a little bit better than they, they, they appear to be or uh, relative to what our, our initial expectations were. But uh, at least on the position player side, this was perhaps the most disappointing roster in the system, right? Like there were definitely... Like we knew uh, Syracuse and 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 uh, Binghamton were going to be awful, um, but this was just a whole nother level of disappointing, and and that's before we even get to the pitching side, and and f- this is the the much more dire situation. I think, I think I think there's a an argument, and this would be something a good question for the four of us to have together. Uh, I think there's something to the idea that when you're developing hitter prospects. Quantity might be quality uh, to a degree. Uh, but when you're developing pitching prospects, just due to the amount of uh, attrition due to injury uh, uh, or, or r- random breakouts we see due to very subtle changes in pitch mix or arm slot or extension, uh, suffice it to say that on the pitching side, it seems like there are more advantages to be gleaned by uh, uh, smart or, or competent development. And as such, you're probably best off attacking it with quantity over quality. And the Mets have neither, so it does. it's kind of a moot point, right? It's not even that the Mets have uh, one or two good prospects here that are, are really quite excellent and we're excited about and the rest is bad. They have... A rehabbing JT Ginn, who threw 40 innings at St. Lucie, just under 40 innings. They have Junior Santos, who I've never been a fan of uh, as a, a super tall DSL signing pitcher that's, or J2 signing pitcher, I guess I should say, that's supposed to put it all together at some point and turn into something real. Uh, but he just never has. He's just way too hittable, and that would continue to be the case this year. Uh, through 96 innings, um, had a whip of one and a half and an ERA of four and a half. Like that, that's just not, that's not going to cut it. And yeah, you're 19 in full season ball. That's, that's good. I'm not going to say he's worthless. There's still potential, right? He's still a big, tall dude, but, but I just don't see it, right? It doesn't seem to be leveraging that frame for anything, uh, aside from, uh, uh, um, stereotypical scouting vernacular about like, Oh, look, big, tall right-hander, starters frame etc etc and the results just just aren't there but but back to the original point even beyond Ginn and Santos if you look at the rest of this pitching landscape none of these names are real prospects Oscar Rojas had the second most innings on this roster uh Luis Moreno 
Drake Nightingale, who's 25. Austin Faith, who's 23. Uh, David Griffin at 24. I, I'm not trying to, to to call out individual guys, but the reality is that the majority of the pitching for St. Lucie this year were non-prospects. And that's extremely concerning when you uh, factor in the amount of attrition you see in these in, in pitchers as they move up the ladder, right? You, there's some certain percentage that just fail at each level. And if you have these few, the, like this limited slate of options at the lowest level of your farm, that really doesn't portend anything good in the coming years. And it's not as if the Mets have a lot of pitching in their high minors right now either. Um, so I, I think there needs to be or at least I am concerned oh, looking down the pipeline, right? It's not as if the Mets are in a drought at the top, but there's a wave of stuff coming to, to improve those things. I don't see that wave of talent coming here. Um, the picture gets extra dire when you actually like go further down this list. You see like the ghosts of, of uh, upside prep picks pass, like Matt Cleveland pops up down here. Um, uh Colin Holderman was somewhat interesting at one point. Um, Robert Kalina's down here. It, it, it's just so... There's neither quality nor quantity, and I'm very concerned that that the Mets are going to talk themselves into thinking that they need to just reboot or maybe kick the can down the road a couple years thinking that their farm will produce something when the reality is they have almost no talent down here to, to save them. Like they, the lack of talent at this level of the farm just reinforces the idea that, that this organization needs to be all in right now while also drastically improving their developmental pipeline and amateur acquisition uh, uh, departments. Uh, because if, if this is the quality of your full, full season rosters, you, that does not portend major league success. Um, so definitely got a little bit away from uh, 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 St. Lucie specific issues, but uh, I think this roster is actually quite indicative of the overarching problems within the organization. And frankly, that's uh, uh, more interesting to me than a minor league team's record or, or the performance of of. 25, 24-year-olds in, in the lowest level of full-season ball. Um, so that was the 2021 St. Lucie Mets. Hopefully next year's better. Um, and until next time, love the Mets. Love the Mets. Hello, everyone. This is Ken. And uh, this week we are going to be discussing uh, the 2021 St. Lucie Mets of the low-A uh, Southeast Division. Uh, so the St. Lucie Mets were the only successful team in the Mets minor league system uh, from a wins and losses perspective. They went 60 and 55, which was good enough to win the low A Southeast East division, but unfortunately was not good enough to make the playoffs due to how the, uh, the seeding works. They finished quite a few games behind um, the Bradenton Marauders, of the, the low A Southeast West division and the Tampa, I think they're the Tampa Tarpons of the, uh, low A Southeast West division. Um, so due to how the seating works, they didn't actually make the playoffs despite having won their division. Um, 
So beyond the general success on the field, uh, there were a few players who uh, were worth highlighting who spent um, a significant amount of time in St. Lucie. Uh, first, we'll discuss uh, Jalen Palmer, who um, you know has been around for a couple years now. Uh, very toolsy, but very raw at the plate. Um, kind of up in the air as to where he's going to play in the field. Um, but uh, it's a lot to like there. He's very athletic, very quick, quick twitch. Um, you know, can draw a walk, uh, but there remains a few questions about his ability to consistently make contact. Uh, for his career, he's struck out well over 30% of the time, uh, in well over 30% of his plate appearances, and including 27.8% uh, with St. Lucie, and um, saw his strikeout rate jump to almost 40% after being promoted to uh, high A Brooklyn. Um, but Palmer had a pretty good season. He was 15% or so above league average, uh, hit 276, 378, 386 in 291 plate appearances with two homers. And um, yeah, generally played pretty well before uh, being overmatched a little bit in, uh, in high A. Uh, next, we'll discuss Alexander Ramirez, who's a, a toolsy young outfielder. Uh, the Mets gave him more than a million dollars to sign, I believe it was 2019 signing period. And uh, he made his professional debut this year. He uh, came stateside right away as an 18-year-old. He was the second youngest player in the low A Southeast uh, League at 18, you know, he was one of three 18-year-olds to play, I believe. And um, generally, he, you know, held his own. He hit 258, 326, 384 with a 31, I mean, admittedly high, 31.1% K rate and a almost 7% walk rate. About a league average, which is, you know, perfectly fine considering he's an 18-year-old playing against, generally speaking, 20 or 21-year-olds. Um, and yeah, there's a lot to like there as well. He's still very young, as we've seen with Ronnie Mauricio. A lot can change in one off season with these these young kids. Um, for now, it seems like he'll be able to play uh, an outfield corner. Uh, it's possible that he continues to grow and uh, gets stuck with like left field only, uh, or even you know maybe even sliding all the way to first base. But it's way too early to to tell about any of that. So, uh, and finally, um, somebody who has been around a little while, but put together just a real solid season um, for the St. Lucie Mets was Jose Peroza, not to be confused with Jose Peraza, uh, who spent some time at the big league team. But uh, Peroza hit 274, 404, 442 in 278 plate appearances before being sent up to Brooklyn. And um, yeah, the managed to put together a fairly good season. Um, Particularly impressive uh, was his ability to draw walks. He walked in almost 15% of his plate appearances before being promoted up to uh, High A Brooklyn. On the pitching side, um, the player who, you know, pitched the most, who led the team in innings, was uh, Junior Santos, uh, who's a familiar name to listeners of the podcast. But, um, and, you know, a decent season for, for, again, a young kid. 
uh, 19 years old, still young for the level, almost three years younger than the average player. Uh, he In 96 innings, he put up a 4.59 ERA uh, with 79 strikeouts against 38 walks. Um, so yeah, he could afford to strike out a few more guys, walk a few less, but um, he's still very young. Um, ultimately, at some point, he's going to have to have put together more of a um, sustained, uh, consistent performance. But he's, you know, the story really hasn't changed much. He's still very a very large human. He throws hard. I believe he averaged somewhere between 94 and 96 miles an hour on his fastball. Uh, he's one of the few guys in the system who can who can touch higher than that if needed. And um, yeah, this was pretty much the first season he had something approximating a um, a full workload, throwing almost a, a full minor league workload, throwing almost 100 innings. Uh, finally, we're going to touch on somebody we spoke a little bit about last week, but uh, JT Ginn. Uh, he made his professional debut with St. Lucie before being promoted up to Brooklyn and generally pitched the way a polished, <laughs> polished college hitter uh, pitcher uh, should against low-A hitters. He put up a 2.56 ERA in 38 innings, struck out about eight batters per nine, walked less than two and a half per nine, and um, generally you know, kept opponents off the board before being promoted to, uh, to Brooklyn. Um, so yeah, St. Lucie was successful on the field. They had a few nice developmental, um, successes and, um, yeah, they should be home to most of the guys who were drafted this year, who will need, you know, full season reps next year. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing, um, how the team shapes up next year. All right, guys. Well, that is our show. And if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complexqueens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Seiper. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. Ken is at KenLavin91. And Thomas is at SZN. Subscribe to our podcast. Don't forget your podcast from. Rate and review it. And, of course, we thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. So until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets.